Welcome to the Cashflow Chronicles. I'm your host, Johnny Catani, and the founder of Catani Capital Group. For the last two years, I've been studying alternative assets and now help solve the problem of creating passive cash flow for creators, influencers, and busy professionals by bringing you five episodes a week of easy to understand education in the world of passive investing. What's up, guys? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Chronicles. I'm your host, Johnny Catani. Hope everyone is having a great week. We are now a full week into June and summer is rapidly approaching slash upon us and a lot happening. Uh, so hopefully everyone had a great weekend. Uh, I'm excited uh, for this episode. I'm going to give a few different updates on kind of what's happening across uh, the economic world. And then I'm going to end with uh, an article that I read in the Wall Street Journal that I want to go over and cover and kind of dissect uh, that delivers kind of some, it's shedding some light on something, uh, but it may not be that bad of news as, uh, you know, typically you can read. And uh, again, you know, I talk about mainstream media and and I do love the Wall Street Journal, but it's important to uh, you know, take a certain perspective uh, when you read articles like this. So that's what I have for the show today. So uh, let's roll into it. So the first thing, uh, I imagine that a lot of you are golfers. Uh, I'm a golfer and you probably saw that the PGA Tour and Live Golf have merged, which is absolutely insane. Uh, no PGA players were aware of the decision. Uh, it was all the upper manager, the commissioner of the PGA, Jay Monahan, and the board. So uh, if you haven't read about it, surprise, uh, if you're not a golf fan, uh, basically what it means is that, so about two years ago, uh, Live Golf was formed, which was funded by the uh, the Audi uh, PIF fund, which is a public investment fund. And it's just this big multi-billion dollar fund that they use to invest in a ton of different things. Uh, see, I believe they own a UK uh, Champions League soccer team. Uh, they're invested in some other American businesses, uh, American sports teams. And then, of course, the big one is the Live Golf, which is a different style of golf than the PGA Tour. But the biggest part about it is that they offered golfers like insane amounts of money. I mean, I think Phil Mickelson got like 250 million uh, for coming over to live uh, other, you know, eight figure, nine figure, let's see eight, uh, some other eight figure hundred million plus offers. And then a lot of just 50, 60, $80 million offers to some of these players who you know, like Ian Poulter, uh, kind of on his way out, uh, older guy, you know, still getting up, you know, still in the money on these events, but, you know, making with sponsorships and stuff, making, you know, 10, 15, 20 million a year, not a bad living. Right. But then you get a $50 million offer. It's like, okay, well, it's pretty much guaranteed. Right. So makes a ton of sense why they take that offer. Uh, Brooks Kepka was another notable notable name. 
Cam Smith. So some very notable names are over there for some very large paychecks. And the feelings were mixed. My personal opinion on it is that I don't blame them uh, for taking it because you're still getting, you're still playing golf. They can still compete in the majors. Can't compete in any PGA events, but can't compete in the majors. And the PGA was slandering the live name and everybody was slandering these golfers names because the Saudis are being accused of sports washing, meaning they're using sports to boost their PR because they have pretty horrible, um, pretty horrible name for themselves publicly with like, you know, um, like being, uh, you know, like they've, uh, They've been accused of like killing some reporters, like literally like some really bad stuff that they've been uh, allegedly accused of. And so, you know, they were being accused of, of sports washing, which is, you know, using sports to kind of change the world perspective on, on their country. And, you know, the PGA tour has been slammed to their name talking about like, you know, any player who goes over there is never allowed back. They have to play page huge fine if they want to come back all these things. And then we hear that they merged. And so it's uh, it's a really bad look for the PGA. I mean, really bad. It's just, uh, you know, the it'll be interesting to see. I mean, from what I hear so far, all the players are calling for uh, Jay Monahan, the commissioner, to be done. Uh, it's supposed to be a player run league, meaning like they have a whole committee player committee that's supposed to be consulted on everything that obviously did not happen. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. Uh, so I don't know, you know, um, also I, uh, side note, I apologize for my voice. Allergies have picked up horribly, uh, this week and, We're getting a lot of storms, and when it's super windy, uh, it just kicks up dust and everything, and I get crushed by it. So, uh, so apologize there, but yeah. So this merger is crazy. It'll be interesting to see kind of how things shake up. It means that people from um, from the Live Tour are going to be a part of the PGA board, and vice versa. But it's mostly that they're going to be the live golf is going to be like involved and they're going to be able to make, you know, decisions. The PGA is going to control most of the PGA, but, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy because, you know, these golfers all went and got paid and were getting shunned. And now they look like the geniuses for going and taking a payday because they're just going to come back to the PGA tour anyway. So it'll be interesting to see, supposedly there could be some kind of, fine for them if they return but from what i read as soon as this season is over they can reapply for their pga tour card so i don't know more details will come out but it will definitely be something to take care of or to to take a look at so so we'll see all right so moving on uh some other news so the uh the world bank has uh made a change i did a podcast shoot, this is probably back in January now, maybe February, where I talked about the World Bank and how they downgraded their outlook. So they gave an outlook in December 
November, December for the following for 2023. So in December of 22, they gave an outlook. It was pretty, it was slowing down compared to, I believe it was like close to three. Uh, it was close to like three. Three percent, like a little over three percent. Last year, we saw three point one global expansion. But anyways, they dropped it, and it was very significant when they dropped it in like January, February. Like very bad news. They they brought their. I they believe they projected like a two point eight percent increase in like December. Brought it all the way down to one point seven. Okay, it was in January that they released the forecast. Brought their forecast all the way down to 1.7. Some sectors even having negative growth. But in good news, they have increased it now and are forecasting a 2.1% global expansion, which is good news. That means that, you know, aside from what they're calling our stubborn inflation, and a lot of advanced countries like ours are also seeing the same stubborn inflation, meaning you know, raising interest rates hasn't reduced inflation as much as they were expecting, but all the data is starting to show that things are slowing down. Uh, the Fed obviously teasing that most likely they'll pause and that that will come out next Tuesday, Wednesday. So obviously I'll keep you updated there, but so far it's sounding like they're going to pause uh, on this next uh, meeting And so because of the pause, because inflation, global inflation is starting to come down, the World Bank has decided to increase their uh, forecast for the year to 2.1%. So that's good. It's still a slowdown, right? Last year, like I said, we saw 3.1%. So still a slowdown. But certainly leaning toward, you know, uh, 2024. So next year, starting to see things grow. And of course, the adage has been survived to 25 with, of course, 2025 looking like the economy, global economy, and even our domestic economy starting to really uh, cruise uh, back up and grow more rapidly. So so again, something to take uh, keep an eye on. You know, I'll keep you guys updated on all that stuff as the news comes out. But certainly some some pretty good news uh, to hear from from the World Bank for sure. So love to see it. All right. So the biggest thing I want to get to today, Wall Street Journal call I read, interest-only loans helped commercial property boom. Now they're coming due. So uh, 1.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, like tango. Uh, landlords face a $1 trillion bill for commercial mortgages over the next three years. So essentially what they're saying is over the next three years, $1 trillion in commercial loans. So here's why I want to talk about this article. Because whenever you say commercial real estate to someone who's not in the industry or is brand new, they really only think of office, right? So people will read this and be like, and then here, you know, for instance, let's say I, you know, went to a networking event and it's like, oh yeah, I'm in, you know, I'm a capital raiser primarily focus on on commercial real estate, but we do other assets as well. And they hear commercial real estate and they think of this article like, oh, what's going to happen with the $1.5 trillion in loans due over the next three years? And listen, that is a factor, right? I don't want to diminish it. I just want to give my perspective here. So 
ultimately what's going to happen is $1.5 trillion in mortgages are going to be due. Uh, since 2021, uh, interest only loans have increased uh, to 88% up from uh, 51%. So in two, for, this is using data starting in 2013. Uh, since then, it's ex, it's grown. Interest only loans have grown to 20 uh, to 88% of loans for commercial real estate. And what interest only means is that, you know, let's say you get a 10-year loan fixed rate and they give you a five-year interest only period, meaning for those five years, you're only paying the interest back. You're not, it's not like a residential mortgage where you have P&I, uh, principal and interest. And over the 30 years, obviously in the beginning, it starts more uh, heavy on interest and a little bit towards principal. And as that amortizes over the 30 years, it starts to switch and it, uh, it's obviously the same payment because you have the same fixed rate, but that payment starts to go instead of, you know, 80% to interest and 20% to principal over time, it changes to eventually obviously paying it all off, right? Well, commercial loans work the same way. They have a, you know, amortization schedule, even though it's a 10 year loan, they still have an amortization schedule. And, you know, typically you'll see a two to five year interest only. But what will happen is after that interest only pay period ends, you're now paying principal and interest, which if you're not increasing your cash flow or you're, you know, boosting your NOI, then when that principal and interest kicks in, that's going to take, that's going to take a massive hit to, towards your, your NOI, Right. And NOI doesn't include uh, interest only. So it's going to take, sorry, it's going to take a big hit for your bottom line revenue, essentially. And so this article is basically saying that, you know, landlords are going to be in trouble. And what ultimately will happen is that, you know, they will have to, they'll end up being a distressed seller. You know, in the residential world, it's disguised as a motivated seller. And sometimes motivation is just that they need to move, but a lot of times it's due to the it's due to two things. One, you're either trying to avoid uh, default, uh, which makes you very motivated. Uh, two, you are moving, but on the subject to uh, selling your house. So the longer it sits, the longer you have to wait to move. And typically, you're trying to buy a new house in your your new destination. So, you know, it can be very, you know, you can find these distressed sellers, aka motivated sellers, and it's happening more often, right? Where, you know, because the market, because houses are no longer getting, you know, 20 cash offers over asking price, and they're sitting for two, four, six, eight weeks, prices are starting to come down because sellers want to sell. So they're trying to, you know, so they have to lower the price. That's the only option they have is, is to lower the selling price. And so that's what they end up doing. And so this is what's happening here with these commercial properties is eventually you have to lower the price because you have to sell. And once you lower the price, that lowers the other commercial property in the area, which then brings the market down. So 
that's kind of how the full circle works when it comes to this kind of market cycle that we're in where, you know, when you're motivated or distressed, you know, the entire market is going to come down, which is going to decrease valuations, which then hurts others as well. So, so I say all of that to say that don't take this article as, oh, this is, uh, you know, multifamily as well. And multifamily is going to get crushed. There are loans coming due in multifamily. This is also a concern in the multifamily space. I've talked about it before, but the difference in multifamily, and this is the point I ultimately want to make because, you know, I don't have my eyes on office and there are some markets where office is still very much in play. There are employers are really pushing to try to get people back into the office, become less and less hybrid. But for multifamily, what you're seeing is one, this is a literal necessity, right? You're talking about someone's, you know, housing and it's a necessity. So with office, you know, I believe the national vacancy is still 50%, meaning only half of, of all office space across the U.S. has a tenant. And, you know, you're seeing companies downsize and move to smaller places, like all the things, right? So the difference with multifamily is that, you know, there's going to be a market for someone to come in and buy these. Now, you are seeing motivated sellers and you're seeing asset prices come down, which needs to happen. I want you guys to know it does need to happen. We're due for a bit of a correction in terms of bringing asset prices down. They were getting out of control. You were seeing, you know, 2X in 14, 15, 18 months. And that's just not normal. So this correction will bring us back to a normalcy where, you know, you actually have to implement a business plan and hold on to an asset for three to five years and choose your market correctly and your submarket correctly and make sure you're on the right block and, you know, make sure you have good property management. And all the things that go in with actually implementing a business are going to be very, very important. And you're going to see the, the point I want to make is a lot of the groups that got in and just kind of rode this big wave of like, you know, the market just pushing everything up and it being such a hot asset that they didn't really have to do anything. And as they say, you know, when the tide goes out, you'll see you swimming naked because essentially now we're going to see who was able to implement an actual business plan and keep themselves capitalized enough to cover, you know, an increase in interest rates or, you know, when the interest only goes away and, you know, their mortgage payment goes up. So that's what we're going to see. And, you know, the ones who didn't do it correctly are going to be, you know, your, your quote unquote motivated sellers, right? Which is going to be a distressed, uh, distressed seller, typically not a distressed asset, but it's distressed seller. So, so there you have it. That's really all I wanted to cover, but I really just wanted to make the point of, you know, don't read too much into this in that, you know, the whole market is going to crumble because certainly there will be a correction and it is due to this exact reason. But again, you know, if you're choosing the right group who has the right team in place and they've got a good track record and they get their debt right, then you're going to be fine over the next three to five years. 
certainly, you know, even assuming, you know, 25 things start to pick up, you could start to see assets bought in 23, you know, uh, you could start to see some dispositions, some full cycle deals uh, starting to go around in 25. And of course, you know, as the market starts to move back in the other direction, we'll start to see more, more of those deals uh, come full cycle. But certainly there are groups who like to hold even as, as the market uh, moves up. So, so there you have it, guys. There's a show for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, go to the uh, thecashflowchronicles.com. Same name as the podcast, thecashflowchronicles.com. And uh, join my list. We've got some awesome things coming out for you guys. I'm very excited. Remember, I can't show deals. I can't market deals that are five or six Bs. So if I have a five or six B, you're going to have to be on my list in order to get access to it. So, so there you have it. Also, please, guys, don't forget to share these episodes. If you enjoy what you're listening to, someone else out there will enjoy it too. Would love for you guys to share, rate, review, all of the things. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. And I will talk to you guys on Friday for the Friday follow-up. See you guys. Thank you again for tuning in. Who do you know that wants more cash flow? Share this episode with them so you can grow your cash flow together. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're subscribed on your platform of choice so you never miss a new episode. Go to KataniCapitalGroup.com to learn more.